Cathedral Studios production. St. Louis Blues supporters, it's good to be back. And the Blues are back in town. Old little town of Edmonton, that is. The postseason is here. We discuss round-robin play-ins, spend a second on Sunday's game versus Colorado, more time than Nazem Kadri needed, and talk bubbles. Quarantine bubbles, that is. All that and more in this week's St. Louis Blues Supporter Show. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. The St. Louis Blue Supporters Podcast is still here, and you're here, and I'm here, and also Mike Kelly is here. Hey, Mike. Hey there. Hey, and Andrew Ship is here. Greetings, my fellow Blues fans. Greetings, fellow. Now, I, when I say we are here, we're certainly not where you are, listener. Um, and in fact, Mike and, and Andrew are also not with me because we are being good citizens and good Blues fans and social distancing so they're joining me from their respective living room spaces um i wish you could see this because we are actually on a video call but andrew ship has developed a very ryan o'reilly like it's like he's a pokemon and he's evolved to the next stage (laughs) (laughs) like he hatches is it do they hatch or something like that as he hatched as andrew ship um and yeah and maybe it was the hibernation the the post cocoon quarantine ship has emerged as ryan o'reilly what uh what brought about this change uh andrew stroke ryan well my last uh last haircut was was late february and i just felt like what am i gonna do when i'm locked inside and not really doing anything like why would i go get a haircut when you know quarantine is happening and then the hair just kind of kept growing and growing and i'm like you know what this doesn't look too bad and i'm like well I've always kind of wanted to like do that pull back headband kind of thing. I'm like, I think I can get long enough before the school year starts again to really have that be a thing. And now that it's as long as it is, I can throw it straight back and I'm like, huh, it actually kind of works. I never really thought it would work, but here we are. So I guess thanks COVID for that, but nothing else. Andrew is the yeah. is the third stage of the hair evolution a man bun is that the culmination of this journey? I did the uh, I did the samurai. No one else can see me doing this on the screen, but you guys. <laughs> I did like the samurai pony um, a little bit. It's not quite bun, nor will I ever do a bun. But I was like, I can be a samurai for a day. It was kind of a it was kind of a joke. If there's any soccer people listening, it's it was kind of like the Gareth Bale look a little bit, <laughs> um, and. Uh, so got got made fun of a lot uh, by by some of my soccer buddies, but that was it was all worth it. It's fun now. You've got the skills to back up the Gareth Bale look, though, so it works. Well, with with this particular group of people, uh, yeah, they they hold nothing to me. So yeah, I mean, in the in the mad streets of St. Louis soccer, you are the the St. Louis Gareth Bale is is what they call Shippo. And yeah, I've heard that. Once or twice, yeah. For the third time right now. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Kelly, how about you? Any plans for a man bun in your future? <laughs> I wish I could grow hair anywhere <laughs> on the top of my head. Uh, <laughs> it grows in places that my life wants me to constantly uh, take care of. Ears, nose, uh, every place you don't want it when you're getting older, you know? We'll ask Steph if we should edit that part. Out of the right. 
<laughs> no, I would gladly, uh, I would gladly pay cash for a head of locks like uh, Shippo. <laughs> <laughs> the beard is magnificent. What have you guys been doing during quarantine? Obviously, we've been missing hockey. Um, some of us have gotten soccer back, if you're into that. Um, but other than sports, what have you guys been doing to um, keep yourselves relatively sane? Well, back in April, um, the wonderful people at Bush Beer did a uh, Facebook trivia. Um, it wasn't really trivia. It was basically, here's a question, give us the best answer. They had three rounds, three questions around, and basically it was like, if you could, what would be the paint design on Bush's next NAS NASCAR? And questions like that, they were just funny, and people would respond on Facebook Live and everything, and so one uh, one day we're we're playing. I'm playing trivia, and I'm like, all right, maybe I'll win something. They had prizes for the different rounds, and they had a grand prize of a of a new uh, 60 inch TV for the best answer overall for the entire for the entire trivia contest. And so one of the questions during one of the rounds is if Bush um, sponsored a, a fishing boat, what would the name of the fishing boat be? And so I put in my answer and. Um, I didn't win that particular round, but at the end of the night, we came back, and the Bush guy in his flannel is like, "We have we have our winner. Our winner for this year's uh, our this year's this week's um, TV is uh, Andrew Ship." And I'm like, "Holy crap! I just won a TV." So the question: If Bush had a fishing boat, what would the name of the fishing boat be? And me, in my infinite wisdom and creativity, said, "Bush Sidon, King of the Brocian." <laughs> Got me a 60-inch TV, and it showed up, uh, let's see, that was in April, it showed up about uh, this week, so, uh, you know, three and a half months go by, but got a brand new TV out of uh, Drinking Bush and playing some Bush trivia. There you go. See, all of those cops in grade school that told you just say no to drugs and alcohol, Shivo, <laughs> you had done that. <laughs> How about you, Mike? What have you been up to, uh, you know, besides crying yourself to sleep every night, absent blues hockey? Uh, I released my fourth book back in April. Ooh. Um, it's my other uh, passion is writing uh, railroad history books. So my fourth book came out in April, and I've been selling that online, waiting for live events to be able to be held again so I can do that. And then I've been up to Michigan a couple of times uh, at the lake. With uh, It's always fun to go up to northern Michigan because you get a good blend of Hawks and Red Wing fans up that up that way, and uh, you know, just kind of rubbing a cup in and all that kind of stuff. Um, probably with my uh, <clears throat> my uh, uh, Stanley Cup champion bumper sticker on the back of the truck, whatever. I don't know. It's it's uh, it's been a good summer. Yeah, but it's, I'm glad uh, yeah. we'll be talking hockey again. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely good to be back, and uh, hopefully soon we can do this again in person my project for quarantine i didn't start baking sourdough bread i didn't win any fancy televisions or, or write any books um i i did finish the uh, the reconstruction repairs in the studio so we actually have a proper room over there actually the first episode ever of this podcast uh, mike you might remember was over in that the other room um yeah and uh so yeah it's fully functional now 
for nobody to come over and record because we don't do things that way. But hopefully in the near future, uh, we will have some some really nice new studio digs to enjoy. Um, yeah, missing hockey, that's for sure. Uh, but hockey's back. And uh, we'll talk in a second about kind of how we feel the Blues have gotten off to start-wise. Um, but just in case, listener, if you're not entirely certain how... At what the heck is going on with these games? Um, the Blues played the Blackhawks and lost 4-0, which was not awesome. It did not count for anything. It was just a scrimmage, a practice, whatever. Pre-season, I guess. Or pre-post-season. Is that what we would call it? Pre-post? <laughs> post-season, pre-post-season. Um, but starting with the, uh, the loss last night at time of recording to the Colorado Avalanche, uh, the Blues play a series of round-robin games with the other top four seeds in the Western Conference. The East is doing the same thing. Top four seeds play one another in a round-robin tournament-type thing. Um, think group stages of the World Cup, kind of, to determine the ranking going into the proper postseason. Meanwhile, seeds 5 through 12 are playing one another in an inverted manner. So 5 plays 12, 6 plays 11, and so on to determine the remaining four teams to play those top four so basically the blues are in the postseason right that's cool the question is are we the number one seed or the way it's looking right now maybe the three or four seed um and maybe we'll talk about advantages and disadvantages to that either way but just out of curiosity this might be something we want to come back to later there has been a lot of conversation in the nhl in the last two or three seasons about restructuring the postseason um, this is kind of a little preview into one of the theories that was thrown out there, which is an expanded, uh, expanded opening, I suppose, for four more teams. Um, how do we feel about that? Do you, do you think, do you, do you like having more teams coming through the gate with the opportunity? What, what do you, Mike's shaking his head. What do you think? I, I think it's too many teams. Um, I, I think that, that a team like the Blackhawks, who had a horrible regular season, I, they don't deserve to be here. They just don't. And if, if you've got 24 out of 31 teams making the playoffs, it's, it, it almost kind of defeats the point of the regular season in, in a way because I mean, your odds of making the playoffs are pretty damn good compared to missing. I mean, there's only seven teams that are going to miss the playoffs. And... I don't know. I, it's, I, it's too many, in my view. And how many games were played? I'm trying to pull this up right now. 69 to 71 games were played. I mean, we're only missing 10, 11 games for most teams. So why do we re- why do we reward? And I know that, yeah, you can make a late run, as we see with... I mean, you can make the argument for the Blues. Last year, they made that late run and, and pushed... But you look at points, I mean, the Hawks had to make up seven points in ten games, hmm. which I don't think that happens, especially with how poorly they were, were looking. Um, and But then you, like, Mike, like you were saying, you give a team like the Blackhawks who have just this ridiculous offensive firepower and Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, who have been there, know how to win. And then what I hate about this is you're giving these young guys to bring it um, who's the other guy that scored a bunch uh, the other night? Kubalik? Kubalik? Kubalik. You're giving this young guy this playoff experience that 
Otherwise, he wouldn't be getting right now. And so you go forward a year or two, and then these guys have this playoff experience that otherwise they wouldn't have because of the system, um, which I don't really care for in, in that. Um, but, I mean, you break it down, you still have to play the games, you still have to win, and it gives them a, a fair chance. I guess they weren't eliminated technically, so I guess you look at that and you try to include as many people as you can. But I don't like that. I don't like that aspect of it from a division standpoint, even. A, a team like the Hawks, you know, their core is is definitely older. Uh, I mean, Seabrook didn't even make the trip, if I if I understand correctly. Um, but they've had all this time to rest, you know, Kane and, Kane and Taves and Keith, in particular, and Crawford for that matter, have had time to rest up and get ready for this. And I don't know, it's it's. You play an 80 games regular season, it's grueling, and you finally get to the playoffs. And, and I mean, yeah, anything can happen in the playoffs, but I don't know. It's, it just doesn't feel right to me. I'll be curious to see how this takes shape next season. Of course, more postseason games mean more ad revenue for the NHL, which is always a big selling point. Sure. Um, one of the tricky things, though, with lockdown is, as I think, Shippo, you just mentioned, the Blackhawks were seven points out of a playoff spot with just a handful of games to go. Um, that, that's that's true. However, uh, <laughs> what's bizarre is in the standings, Calgary were in. They, they were occupying, if I'm not mistaken, the last postseason spot at 79 points. Right below them, the Winnipeg Jets had 80 points, so more points, but they had played more games. And you look in the Eastern Conference; it's even. It's even. Well, it it was a race. You had Toronto and Columbus equal on points, having played the exact same amount of games, but on either side of the drop. So it's like I can understand <coughs> to a certain degree the idea of like, okay, we should give those teams that were right on the bubble at that point a, a chance to actually pursue that race in some capacity, you know? Um, but I agree. I, I think when you're playing an 82-game season, th- there's already a good enough race at the end. I mean, it, it was, was it two seasons ago. Uh, the Blues missed the postseason on the last day by playing the team that they were trying to beat out for that last spot. Um, it's like as to the finish as it goes. It seems the Blues and Avalanche tend to do things that way, as we'll come on to when we talk about last night's game. Um, but I, so I, I can kind of see this as a as a bandage solution to obviously a less than ideal situation. The person in me that hates the Chicago Blackhawks hates to see a team that shouldn't be anywhere close to the postseason with a chance to actually make an upset. Um, and I guess we'll see tonight what that looks like. Thinking, 10, 11, and 12 all won their first game in the Western. Oh, did they? Minnesota uh, beat Vancouver last night. Arizona beat Nashville. And Chicago beat Edmonton. Oh, wow. So 10, 11, 12. I guess you make the argument the other way, saying those teams are saying, well, we were absolutely good enough to be there. Um, based off of one game into the playoff five-game series, right? Because they're up a game to nothing. And so I guess you have to make that argument as well. I would have been okay with a with a eight nine play in, even just a play in game. Um, like you were like you were kind of talking about, you how it's the the West. Winnipeg had one more point than Calgary. Calgary was in a playoff spot. Winnipeg wasn't, <laughs> which seems odd based off of the con- uh, divisions and conferences. Um, 
It, but it is interesting because I'm trying to think. Florida looked terrible. Montreal beat Pittsburgh. Um, the Rangers haven't looked very good. So I guess we can't make that same argument in the East. But the West, I guess you say, yeah, those three teams are good enough to – or even four teams with, with Winnipeg. They're good enough to be there, and they should deserve, deserve a chance. The East, on the other hand, well, maybe you can't make that same argument. It's interesting. You know, I, maybe it's just the fact that I, I, I'm a big believer in quitting while you're ahead on things, and, and <laughs> I think it's really easy for things to get stale and grow old and everything. And I, I feel like all of the American sports that I watch, which are basically baseball and hockey, go on a month and a half longer than they have to or should do. Um, and I, I get it. The, the Stanley Cup is the hardest trophy to win in all of professional sports. Um, I, I believe that. And, and part of that is because the postseason is so grueling. Um, and you hear the stories about, you know, um, players playing through broken bones and torn ligaments and stuff just to win that trophy. Um, and I don't know that we need to add to that by prolonging it another week and a half just to throw in more, you know, more teams. Yeah, exactly. That's I, I don't get it. I think also baseball is not to tangent this this whole thing. Assuming baseball finishes their season, they're also looking at an expanded NHL style postseason, um, which is okay if you're playing sixty games like they are. But when you're playing one hundred sixty two games, you you shouldn't have half of the teams making it. It should be very clear who's the best, you know. And and I think the NHL eighty two game season does a very good job as it is of sorting through who is actually the best and who, you know, has put together that run like you guys mentioned or who's kind of the fringe team that could make it work. Maybe they cut down their regular season games, which I don't see happening. If they did that, then I could see the logic behind expanding postseason as sort of a play-in round like we're seeing now. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't, I don't like it. But whether we like it or not, we've got hockey. We've got Yay. hockey. We do have <laughs> hockey. That's right. And let's talk about this first hockey game uh, that was played. Um, what were you? What were your reactions at the point one second remaining in the third period mark? What What was going through your mind, Mike Kelly, as Nazem Kadri is celebrating? Yeah, it was. Oh my God! You got to be kidding me. <laughs> Point one second left, and and I knew without you know as soon as I saw the clock on the screen, it's like yeah that's gonna count, and and the referee was emphatic that it counted. He was pointing to the net, and uh, it's it was just it was crazy that they couldn't get the puck out of the end, out of their defensive end at least just once. That would have made all the difference, uh, and they didn't. Um, I didn't see the, the the penalty. I didn't see the replay of the penalty, so I don't. I can't comment on whether or not the it was to Pareko, right? I, I can't comment on whether it was legit or not. It was a penalty to Alexander Steen. Oh, to Steen. Okay. Left in the game. It, it was it was a soft penalty. Um, we can come on to that in in a few minutes. Um, so th there was that component that okay, they were on the penalty kill. It's you know, and Colorado is a good possession team with a lot of pace, so. Not being able to clear the zone, yeah, you would, you'd like to be able to do that, especially when you control the puck once or twice. Um, they they weren't able to do that, and they they paid the price, as you mentioned, Mike. 
there was a lot of conversation on mainly Blue's Twitter, which is where you go for wisdom and, and knowledge, right? Um, <laughs> a lot of people were saying, if it takes 10 minutes to come to a decision, it's not conclusive, right? Well, like you said, Mike, the, the referee on the ice emphatically pointed that is a good goal in the moment. And so therefore that review was not that we have to be certain that it crossed the line in time. It was, we have to be certain that his call was wrong, right? So they need conclusive evidence that the call on the ice was incorrect. But in fact, we know it was, it was right. And I don't think we can really complain about that decision as much as it sucks, as much as it is the most 2020 thing that could have possibly happened in that game. Uh, it's basically this year in one moment is losing a game with 0.1 seconds on the clock. Um, Did you see the goal, the goal cam shot? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's like gaping that puck, and if someone, of course, makes a nice meme of what you just said, you 2020 summed up in one photo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's, uh, I'll give it to them. You know, this is why you play to the whistle, and how many times have we seen the Blues let up late in a period? Or, or um, you know, I know I've mentioned this on the pod before, but like, I still. Whenever we're winning by one or two goals, even Game Seven of the Stanley Cup Final, I had flashbacks to um, was it uh, King Dustin King? Was that his name? Well, Los Angeles Kings player. Maybe it was Dustin Penner. I'm not sure. Somebody just cranked a shot, threw a puck on goal from the red line or, or outside of the the blue line, um, and scored at the buzzer against Brian Elliott, and that just sank us in one one postseason series against the Kings who went on to win the Stanley Cup. Um, you know, you, you play to the whistle. Uh, or, or, or last season, last year in Game 7, it was the Alex Petrangelo goal, right? We love to hate on Brad Marchand for taking that line change. Oh, man, that's it's a wonderful thing to think about. Um, you play to the whistle, and, and unfortunately, Colorado did and we didn't, yeah? Because Kadri was all by himself in front of the net. Nobody nobody was uh, was on him. Yeah, it was it was such a mad scramble and where's the puck and you want to you want to see that one held but you can't really put that on anyone but it is and I mean how many times earlier this season when we were when we were potting did we talk about clear the front of the net protect yeah. the front of the net right. that was that that was kind of came back in my mind of. Again, how much I miss Joel Edmondson. I don't know how many times I've said that. But he's a guy that just, and he probably wouldn't have been out there at that stage, but he's a guy that cleans up in front of the net. And how good Pareko is and how good Petrangelo are, they're not always the best at standing put right in front and, and cleaning up the mess when it's there. And that's what we needed in that moment. We needed one of our defenders just to say, there's five seconds left as this play's developing. I'm going to help my goalie out by trying to just either be in front, clean up the trash, or block a shot. And that just wasn't there in that moment. Can't fault it. I mean, I all in all, I, I don't know if the Blues played good enough to really win that game as a whole. But it still stings to lose like that. You never lose a game with a second left or point, less than a second left. Going back to the the postseason, the the post game comments, David Perron straight up said they were the better team. They they were better than us. They were better than we were, and and we didn't deserve to win. Um, and that's saying something because he in fact got the Blues on the board 
1646 into the first period. Uh, power play goal. Uh, would you expect anybody else to... Oh, Shippo, were you doing the power play dance prior to that? Absolutely not. No? You, you weren't? <laughs> it was appropriate for us to... Yeah, yeah. You know, throw some woos in there. I, I didn't. I didn't listen to hear if there were woos. I was at a bar watching the game, so um, I didn't. Uh, I didn't hear. But would you expect anybody else to get us on the board besides David Perron, based on his form throughout the season and just how clutch he seemed to be? No, and it was it's like, hey, he picked up right where he left off. Uh, just from the regular season, banging in another power play goal, very Tarasenko-like from the left point. And uh, it, in that moment, I thought, is Tarasenko watching this? What's he think of this? Uh, he's been replaced on the top unit. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, I was I was happy for Perron. Steph was happy for Perron. That's her favorite player. Yeah, it's easy. To, it's easy to love Perron. Uh, it's really easy to not like Gabriel Landeskog. Um, he took an awful, awful penalty. Um, one minute fifty-two into the second period. Um, just a, a just, did you guys see this? How how he boarded uh, Zach Sanford? Yeah. And it, yeah. it was. Uh, oh man, I I know there's protocol and and you know in, in our group we were talking about the the Matthew Kachuk hit. On Mark Scheifele, um, I, I know there's a, a very cut and dry, black and white, if this, then that system and protocol for assigning penalties and their weight and everything. I think the NHL illustrated in last season's postseason with the Joe Pavelski hit that those don't always work out super well. Um, and I think you had an instance here where I, I would have, if if the official had said, all right, Landis called you're in for four minutes because you only ever saw Zach Sanford's number 12 and you still laid him into the boards. To me, that's absolutely, it's absolutely valid, especially given the crap they called later on in the game. Did, did you guys see that hit? And, and yeah, I didn't understand why it wasn't four or five for boarding. It was pretty, it was an, it was a nasty hit. Thankfully Sanford was okay, but uh, I, I didn't like that hit at all. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't like yeah. it. I think it did look a little worse than it was. Um, I think Sanford's momentum helped the nudge. Um, still, you, it's in the rules you can't hit a guy like that, um, even though I don't think he, he hit him as hard as it looked. Um, I still think it was dirty. I would have been perfectly comfortable with a four there. Um, yeah, I mean, what do you do? Hockey is such a fast game, and that you talk about the the Kachuk hit, and you talk about the Landis Gog hit, and you, you compare them, and I think the NHL sent a message. That, you know, these things happen. Sometimes you get going too fast with Kachuk, and I don't think he intended to 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 hurt Shifley at all. I think it's one of those things where it's the momentum is going so fast, and you realize he's turning, and you realize that I have to try to do something to not really injure this player. And that's where I think the Kachuk thing is different. He plays hard. And if you watch, like, his skate, like, he's going to stop, and his skate kind of bumps off of the ice into that motion, even though that's not what we're talking about here. I, I think that that the reputation of being a Kachuk and how hard he plays ultimately hurt, made it seem worse than it than it was. I'm not saying that the injury that Shifley sustained wasn't bad. I, I don't know what, what it is. You do make that comparison to Landis 
Goggin. It, it almost seems like he does know what he's doing. Um, and every everyone that I've listened to so far is like, I will never question another player's intent. Um, I don't think Landis Goggs trying to hurt Sanford. I think Landis Goggs trying to, to send a message, but he, as Jude said, like he sees the numbers the entire way. So even if it is just a small little shove, like that's still worthy of, of a double minor, if, if not more. Yeah, and Mike, I think the comment that you, you posted uh, um, from an analyst in the group um, with regards to Wade's post about Kachuk, um, I think was very insightful that is like, it doesn't look like he was trying to hurt the guy. And just like Shippo said, you can never know unless the guy's Tom Wilson or Marty McSorley or something, there's a good chance they're not trying to injure somebody. Um, but do people get carried away? Do people play carelessly without regard? I mean, how different is it from a high stick, you know, that can end somebody's career? Um, if it lands in the wrong spot. So I, I think in that regard, yeah, it was careless and, and certainly you should you should uh, you should be able to control yourself more when you are only looking at somebody's numbers, I think. And fortunately for the blues, uh, Zach Sanford was okay, continued the game, ended up logging 15 minutes of ice time, which is not bad at all. Um, I have been what people in certain other blues forums might call a Zach Sanford hater throughout this season and last season and pretty much the whole time he's worn a blues jersey. But uh, he has been shoving that in my face this season, and I love it. Um, third period, things got interesting. Uh, after we kind of, like, we started to gain more control over the game, um, Ryan Graves scored a goal on just kind of a broken play on both sides. Um, in case you missed it or don't remember... Colton Pareko fanned on a one-timer near the blue line, really in the top of the face-off circle. Um, and that sent the Avalanche on a three-on-two um, with Braden Shen and Marco Scandella um, tracking back. And they did everything they could, aside from forwards tracking back harder to, to, to make themselves relevant in the play, which they couldn't do because Colorado are, are fast. Um, Graves ended up trying to pass back to Rantanen whiffed on that pass and put himself all alone in the slot. And I don't think Bennington had a chance on that shot. It was just a weird, weird goal. But that was an example of Colorado's pace really making us pay for a mistake that, okay, maybe Pareko or his his partner should have been more on the ball. Um, But it's hard to fault any one person on that goal. Um, Anyway, that that, uh, equalized one to one. That was 533 into the third period. Um, a couple of very questionable penalties late in the third period, in the second half of the third period. Um, so Pierre Edward Bellemar um, was penalized for tripping at thirteen twenty. That was a very soft call, and then Alex Steen's hooking minor eighteen forty three into the period. So one minute seventeen seconds left on the clock in a postseason game and a soft hooking call is called um that's frustrating man you know and, and you you can't blame the refs for Kadri's goal because as you guys mentioned the blues failed to clear the zone during that time um that could have you know literally iced the game iced the point um they, but they didn't it is frustrating in a postseason environment postseason setting to have the ticky tack 
calls continued to happen. Um, did you guys, do you remember that penalty or the, or the penalty to Belmar for that matter? Um, and kind of what was your instinctive response to that, to how that all went down? I think there have been, uh, even watching some of the other other mad, uh, other games that have been going on, there have been some soft calls like across the board. Um, and maybe that's, you know, the refs aren't fully back into full game. Kind of like the players are kind of still trying to get back to that, that okay, this is playoff hockey now. Um, it, I, I just feel like even as a professional athlete, which I am not and will never be, I feel like <laughs> Flipping that switch has to be hard after two months off. Here you're not playing games. It's a different type of it's a different type of energy, um, and I think the referees can very much be affected by that just as much as, as some of the players might. And so it's it's hard to fault the referees as they're continuing to get themselves back up to pace of play and playoff intensity and. I think some of the players, it, it's, it is interesting watching watching different games, um, the, the play-in games versus the, the five-game series games. The level of intensity, it's like you expect something from one team and it's not there. This other team, kind of like we were talking about with the teams that maybe shouldn't be there, they're given the second life where these other teams are like, yeah, we're, we're supposed to be here. And so right. What does that mentality do? But I think it plays into the refs too. They're not, they haven't been refereeing at that the highest level for just as long as the players have been playing. And so I think there is a kind of a catch-up process to that. So it's hard to fault the refs for, for some soft calls, but they do need to be better. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's a good observation that uh, the refs are just out of practice as the rest of the players. Um, speaking of the of the players, if we can segue that way for a second. I'm, I'm definitely... I'm a little concerned, but it's still early. You know, one game didn't count, but overall there have been, you know, 120 minutes played and only one goal scored. Uh, it's, it's, a little, it's a little concerning. Um, I forget which uh, Blues beat writer on Twitter pointed out that in last night's game, the top line of Shen, Schwartz, and Tarasenko had only two shots on goal, and both of them were from 91. Um, He's obviously, you know, he needs time, as does the rest of the team, but especially him. He hasn't skated in 10 months or played a game in 10 months, so it's going to take him a while to ramp up to true game speed. But uh, I'm, I'm hoping that they they catch their stride. Um, if not this next game, definitely in the last game before the first round actually starts. Because uh, I, I don't want to see a, a quick trip home <laughs> to St. Louis. Um, they they need to they need to pick it up. They need to start elevating their game. They don't have you know two weeks of preseason to warm up. And how many times has that been the issue for us in the postseason? Is just we don't score, um, and we've ridden fantastic goaltenders through postseason series. Um, Jake Allen, one of those goaltenders a few years ago, won us a series in Minnesota. And, um, you know, those were one nothing, 2-1 games. you, you got to score more than one or two goals, right? Um, so you got to hope that will that will come back. Um, you uh, Certainly having Tarasenko back in the lineup 
that at least will spread a defense then because you you have to you have to keep an eye on him. I, I will say it didn't really look to be much of a factor against the Avalanche. I didn't feel like he was no. really in stride. Um, you know, I wonder if there was a rush to get back to full health, perhaps, uh, you know, prior to the lockdown. Um, and then obviously once you're in quarantine, I don't know what physical therapy and rehab looks like for a professional athlete, um, given all the measures that they would have had to take. Um, but it's... Uh, it's it's there's definitely room for growth there. Anybody want to guess who had the most shots on goal for the Blues against Colorado? Not who I would have guessed. Hmm. Good question. I'm going to go with uh, Sunquist. That's a it's not a bad guess. Um, he had three, so he would have been in like a six way tie for second. But Tyler Bozak had four shots on goal. Wow. Um, Playing with Bob Thomas. I I like Bozak a lot. He puts himself in positions to score. And uh, and how many times was it last year when you know, people were slagging him and it was just like he wasn't getting those bounces. But eventually, I think if you continue to put yourself in those dirty areas, put shot uh, put pucks towards the net, um, some of those will fall. Um, a couple uh, final points on <laughs> on the uh, the referees because you know how I love to moan about officials. Um, <laughs> One of the I was listening to Joey Vitale's uh, um, his commentary post game last night, um, and one of the things he mentioned, which I think is very telling, perhaps, is uh, prior to Steen's penalty uh, with a minute seventeen left in the game, the two sides were equal on penalties and power plays through that game, um, and, and and that's kind of like okay, normally when there are these soft calls, it's a way of officials kind of evening up the playing field. They say they don't do that, but it's a subconscious thing. And Carrie Fraser famously uh, posted an editorial a few years back saying like, yeah, referees do that. They don't always try, but they do. Um, And so it just really makes, it leaves me scratching my head as to why that penalty had to be called when, hey, things were even. Um, Was it a hook by the letter of the law? Sure, maybe. Um, But Craig Berube would say, the exact same thing happened prior in in that shift at the other end of the ice. Um, second is Dan O'Rourke was one of the referees that was behind the botched hand pass conclusion to the, the Blue Sharks game in the last postseason. Um, the famous hand pass to player that should have been whistled dead, but it in fact led to a game-winning goal in overtime. Not saying that Dan O'Rourke has it out for the Blues, um, but we did see last year that the NHL was ruthless towards officials that made poor decisions late in the game. Um, arguably, the Vegas Golden Knights were knocked out of the postseason, and Gerard Gallant was sacked because of a, a bad call um, just like that. So certainly hope that the referees do better, as you both said. Um one other comment to the Blues Avalanche, um, one, and this might, I think, kind of factor into the conversation about offense, is I don't know if you guys were paying attention to this, but for me, I'm always I'm very interested in your kind of um, what might be considered to be advanced metrics or whatever, specifically where shots are coming from and what probability of going in they have. Like, what is the, the difficulty or the, the stat is called XG? What is the expected amount of goals a team should score during a game or a season or whatever based on the quality of those scoring chances 
Um, and even though shots at the end of this game ended up pretty even, um, Bennington faced 38 shots and Grubauer faced 32. So not a tremendous discrepancy. Um, you always, you never like to be outshot, but it was relatively close. Um, more than half of the blue shots came from low percentage areas. So um, outside the face-off circles, the corners, the, the outsides near, near the boards by the blue line. Um, and uh, I think that's something I'd like to see moving forward a little bit more puck work down low, which is, um, I mean, how many, how many games have been won by dirty work in the corners? I can think of uh, um, the, the game against the Winnipeg Jets where uh, Schwartz and Bozak cycled down low and then Bozak threw it in front of the goal and Schwartz tapped it in in Nazem Kadri style, you know, at the death. And that was, that buried the Jets. Um, I'd like to see more, more of that sort of play against Vegas because that is a strength of ours. When you have big bodies like Ryan O'Reilly and Zach Sanford and Sammy Blay, who has really impressed me in the last two days, I would like to see those guys mix it up more in the corner and try and create just better scoring chances other than throwing it back to our, our defense, which are, they are fantastic, uh, but not just leaving it up to them to, to put rubber on the goal. Um, what are some things that you guys would like to see moving forward? Uh, not just specifically against the Golden Knights uh, on Thursday, but just in general, what are ways that you would like to see the Blues up their game in the coming, in the coming weeks? Yeah, I think the, the crispness of the forward play. Um, I mean, watching, I've been watching a ton of games uh, just across the board, and our forwards just don't look as in sync as, as a lot of other forwards do. And we have the skills to, we have the skilled players to be able to do that. Uh, one of Carolina's goals uh, today, actually, uh, uh, Sechnikov uh, had a hat trick. And one of the goals, and I know Ajo is just a phenomenal creator and playmaker, but he, but he wins the puck at, at his own blue line, skates, makes a move, fakes a shot, and just slides it right over. Uh, just uh, That name is so darn hard to say. Svechnikov, who just kind of taps it in, and it's like, I'm like, in my head I'm thinking, when is the last time I've seen a Blues forward group do something like that? When Yori Latera was playing for the Blues. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It it is a different style. And Carolina does play a, a different style than the Blues, but I'm just like, Goodness, like the crispness of, of passing, the skill of being able to, to make those plays, I would love to see the Blues forwards get more in sync with with that. Yes, I think the cycling needs to be there, and I think if the cycling's there, it opens up some more of that, some more opportunities for players to kind of get in those better positions in the way that the Blues play the game. But just getting in the slot and being able to, to make some of these plays through traffic, uh, not in the corners and digging it out and then trying to get it out to the front, but through traffic initially, I think would be, I would love to see some more of that. I want to see more offensive zone time. Um, Instead of these come in, take a shot and it's back out. Um, That was one of the things I saw last night that was driving me crazy is, is the lack of zone possession time. And thinking back to, uh, some of the games uh, in the Boston series where the, the Blues had stretches where they dominated, especially in that game two, um, 
that uh, Gun- Gunnarsson won in overtime, they had the between the, near the end of the third period and opening of the the overtime through that power play, they had the Bruins just hemmed in their zone and scrambling. And I haven't, I mean, it's only two games, but I haven't seen tenacity out of the Blues yet. And that's what I'm looking to see. That's when I know the Blues are on their game is when they've got other teams just scrambling, running around like chickens with their heads cut off in the in their defensive zone. Um, so hoping to see that maybe Thursday. Yeah, especially you know, I think what made the um, the Blues so successful last season um, is they they had this underdog mindset going into the postseason. They knew that they'd come through adversity in the regular season. It almost felt a little bit like they felt like the Kings when they went from eighth place and won the cup a few years back. Um, they, they were the outsider. They were kind of lucky to be there at first, but they took that opportunity with both hands. Um and part of how they did that was by playing playoff style hockey, which is grinding. It is. It's yeah. You're right. You're right, Mike. It's offensive offensive zone time. Um, and I felt like in against Chicago as well as in the game that counted against Colorado, there was a lot of trying to make things happen on the rush and not being attentive to where the puck goes after that. And that's when that's when you get those. You know, one and off things where maybe you get a shot on target, maybe there's a, a pass that misses its mark, and then the Avs are coming back the other way with pace because they're Colorado, right? Um, and that's that's going to burn you. Um, but it's it's managing the secondary and tertiary forward in that play, positioning themselves in a manner to where if the goaltender makes a save on a shot, that you're there to pick up a rebound or at least control the rebound and get a cycle going. Um, and that's, you're, you're absolutely right. That was something that, that I would also like to see more of is just controlling the play and not responding to what the other team is doing. So, um, we'll see what that looks like against Vegas. I feel like when we made our predictions at the beginning of the season, um, a number of us pointed to Colorado as being a team that we want to look out for. Um, Colorado and Dallas were both on that list, and uh, and we're going to see both of them more likely than not, um, you know, in the coming weeks and and month or so. Uh, we'll take a break and then uh, move on to some kind of broader NHL conversation. Stick around, listener. We'll be right back. And welcome back, listener. Thanks for sticking with us um, as we talked through a heartbreaking loss to a division rival. Um, but as we said at the top of the hour, it's it's great to have hockey back. Hockey looks a little different right now, doesn't it, gentlemen? Uh, no crowds, um, expanded rosters, all that. How has it felt for you guys? And I know Shippo and I are big Premier League fans, so we have been used to to watching with either no crowd or with artificial noise. Um, Mike, I don't know if you've been watching much baseball. I guess that's kicked off just a little bit before hockey did. But for all of us, hockey is a different sport from baseball and football. So what is it like for you guys to actually watch hockey without real atmosphere? What does that feel like? Well, when the Blues are technically the road team, doesn't bother me. <laughs> Did you hear the goal horn go off when Perron scored? I was like, "Whoa!" Like that's okay. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and then I saw uh, Tom Calhoun do a little thing on Twitter where he did the the goal uh, stat announcement. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, it, I know the first time I saw a baseball game on TV, I was walking through Broadway Oyster Bar downtown. And and we looked up at the TV on the way out, and we're watching the Cardinals game that was right across the street, but you wouldn't know it. <laughs> and it's like, damn, that's weird. That's just so weird. Yeah. Um, but for whatever reason, it didn't bother me last night. It was like, I guess I was just too focused on the actual game to care about the crowd. Um, but it'll be... When when you know when we see them in the home jerseys, the blue jerseys, which I think that'll be Thursday, I think um, that'll be a little different. It'll, it'll be a little weird to. And it, I mean, it's weird not seeing the the blue note or somebody's note at center ice. Um, but I think the way though that the two arenas look is pretty cool. Um, the way they pulled off the aesthetic of of all of that and. You know, I did notice a couple times when the puck went in the stands. There's nobody there running after it. <laughs> did you see video of uh, Jordan Bennington flipping pucks into the into the um, into the crowd like he does before before the game? He'll like flip a puck up into the net so it just falls down. And normally there's like a kid there who will pick up the puck, and it's a souvenir. And he was still doing that even though there was nobody in there like 10, 10 or a couple dozen pucks just on the ground because nobody was picking them up. That tickled me. Yeah, it's. I think, like you said, the, the aesthetic of the stadium and how they set it up, uh, I think it looks amazing. I think, I think it looks great. I think it looks better than the empty seats. Um, I think it looks better than putting the, uh, the fake animated fans in there like MLB is doing, uh, at least Fox is. They're doing uh, animated fans? What? Oh, it looks so stupid. I gotta see. Yeah, it's like... Cardboard, it's, yeah. It's, it's like a video game. People like... <laughs> you're not talking like cutouts like what Borussia Dortmund did. Is that what you're talking about? Or like actual it's video? It's like a video game. Like, oh. Yeah, it's on Fox. Um, I think it might only be Fox, but it looks so stupid. Um, and so it's... I don't mind the cardboard cutouts. Oh. I think that's kind of a cool thing. Um, but yeah, it's weird. I mean, I, I've got the stars nights game on my TV right now, kind of looking up at it. It just look, it looks clean. I mean, it's, I would love to have the atmosphere. I would love to have the people. I would love to have the noise, but I mean, it looks sharp and it looks and how much I, I rag on Gary Bettman because I think he's an absolute, I'll say loser because that's nice, but. Him and his team did a great job getting this getting this together and, and making this making this happen. I think it looks really uh, really professional and really well done. And um, kudos to them. I'm looking at a, a video right now of how Fox will do these fake fans, and it's so strange. Oh, it's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they'll even be doing the wave. That's what the commentary said. Oh goodness! I mean, hey man, technology—it's—it's it's wild. Yeah, I, I think it's been interesting. Uh, one of my favorite Twitter follows is a, a a baseball broadcaster. He broadcasts for the Chicago Cubs, so I listen to him almost every day. He's a guy called Len Casper, um, but he is just a. Do, do you guys, have you heard of him at all? Len Casper? K-A-S-P-E-R? 
Is he friendly? Yeah, he's <sighs> the, the friendliest. Uh, oh. You know, Len Casper, the friendly sports broadcaster. Um, <laughs> he, but so he is just a, a phenomenal fan of sports in general. Uh, and he always has really good insight about, about hockey, NFL, basketball, even sometimes he'll weigh in on, on English soccer and stuff. Um, and, and he had a really good comment. I can't remember if it was on Twitter or actually on a broadcast. Um, but he basically said like, look, you know, the crowd noise and he's referencing baseball, but I've also noticed this in the Premier League and, and, and potentially maybe in hockey as well. The, the crowd noise is great when either nothing is happening or when there's just kind of a normal pace of play. It's really just there to kind of give you a sense of like, oh, this is normal. This is what it's supposed to feel like and sound like. And I think every sport that I've seen has done a pretty good job of that. I know the Cardinals broadcast I saw, it was really loud. But everything on Fox Sports Midwest is really loud. Um, but I, I think it gets weird when there is something in particular that happens in baseball, say when there's a home run or a strikeout and like, they try to make it a, a big cheer or something like that. And it just falls flat. Um, I didn't get much of that from, from the NHL um, in the games that I've seen so far. Again, I've been watching them um, not with the best sound quality. So I'll pay, I'll pay attention to that on Thursday for the blues and nights. Um, I did see also an interesting tweet um, that was the NHL has also included in their package uh, of sounds and technologies fans booing at you know players and stuff that they would normally boo at. So if the Blues and Blackhawks play, you know that Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane would get booed as they're announced or whatever. Um, and somebody asked, uh, will the boos also apply to Gary Bettman when he awards the Stanley Cup? Will they pump in, yeah. <laughs> will they pump in artificial boos? When, when the commissioner comes out to award the cup. I'd like to think they would do. What do you think, listener? I think they should. Any other thoughts about uh, the, uh, the games without a crowd or even just the concept of the bubble as a whole? Because it is a, a unique thing, isn't it? Absolutely. It's, it's a unique thing. And, and, you know, kudos to the NHL for pulling this off and going what now, two, three, four weeks, whatever they said in their Twitter statement today, uh, of zero positives since all the players were in the bubble. Um, that's, that's great. Um, it, I, I, do, I definitely have some questions, you know, going forward, but, you know, we can talk about those another time. Uh, you know, how, if, without fans paying money, how are the teams, how are the teams paying their players? Um, is, is something that's been on my mind because I've been asked that by different people I know, especially those who are in my season ticket pool. Um, how, how are the Blues players getting paid without fans buying tickets? Um, I don't know. It's a good question. I'd, I'd love to know the answer to that. Um, but the, the bubble idea is, is, is obviously working for the team. Now, I, I, I also wondered... You know, when you're talking about the, the, the crowd noise and, and booing Gary Bettman when he passes out the cup, how is that going to be for the players who've won the cup when there aren't any fans in the stands to, you know, scream and yell and cheer with them? I don't, I don't know. That's And what's going to happen with, like, like, when this is all said and done, are the families of the last two teams going to come into the bubble? I mean, how's that all going to work? That's going to be 
you would think when in the Stanley Cup you'd want all of your family there, but is that going to be permitted from the finals? Yeah. Mike, you know who knows the answer to your question about like what will it feel like to lift the cup without fans there to cheer you on? The 2019-2020 St. Louis Blues. Uh, 2018-2019 St. Louis Blues. Uh, know what that feels like because they were in Boston on enemy turf and they lifted the cup and there were a handful of yeah. fans there, but it was quiet, man. Like I, I remember watching that and, and I think just like we've all been in teams before. So like we know the camaraderie you have with your brothers. I have to imagine that's got to be, you know, the, that's the biggest thing. Of course, if you do it on home ice and you have fans there to support you, they're invited into that. But I don't know, maybe we can be fortunate enough to, uh, to have a blues player catch this podcast on Twitter and be like, let me tell you what it's like to lift the cup without fans. Because they did that that one time, remember? Yeah, they did that. <laughs> that was the thing that happened. 14 months ago. Yeah. Oh my gosh, has it been that long? Uh, yeah. To your to your point, Mike, also about just like how well executed the NHL has been, I think it stands in really stark contrast to Major League Baseball, say, where they don't know if they're going to finish their season because there have been so many individual team outbreaks where they've just tried to go back to normal or even the NBA I think has a bubble type thing in Disney World right but players haven't been adhering to that they've been leaving and that's been causing problems as I understand it from the strip joint (laughs) no yeah it was for the wings shippo gotta get the chicken wings from the strip joint the wings that's right Uh, the best something in town yeah (laughs) oh dear um, maybe that's why they the NHL picked Edmonton. I, I don't know. I nothing against the wonderful people of Edmonton. I want to know if there's a Timmy Horton in the bubble because if they didn't do that, they oh, didn't. There has to be. There has to be. <laughs> I, I think it's a part of the Canadian Constitution that there has to be a Tim Hortons in every hotel. <laughs> I miss I Tim Hortons in St. Louis. I miss Tim Hortons too. Although I will say this, I've really been digging the uh, the Panera all you can drink coffee. That's, if you don't know what this is, fans, hey, Panera, do you want to sponsor our podcast? Because uh, for a limited time, you can get a free subscription at Panera. It's kind of like Netflix, where you can just watch as much television or film as you want to for like nine bucks a month, right? And at Panera, that's, it will be $9 a month, I think. Right now it's free. So if you sign up for like the My Panera rewards thing, you can just go in every two hours and get a free coffee and it's fantastic. Oh my gosh. Good. So, hey, Panera. Yeah. I'm intrigued. It's wonderful. Although my new job is right next to a Dunkin', so I'm pretty pumped about that. Oof. Going with the hockey uh, advertising. Bringing it all back. <laughs> yeah, there we go. There we go. Yeah, it's it's been really cool to see how the kind of the bubble policy has has taken shape, and I think the fact that so many NHLers are Canadian and European countries that have been much more like strict about um, protocols helps. So like they themselves are sticking to things because that's what they've been doing, right? They're probably more used to this idea of isolating, whether with themselves, their families, their team, whatever. Um, so I think that helps, and uh, I. So far, it seems like everything's going according to plan. So, fingers crossed, things continue that way. Um, yeah. Um, 
We'll take a break and come back because uh, I'm, I'm told Shippo has some thoughts. So uh, I have a feeling you don't want to miss this listener. Stick around. And welcome back, listener. We're going to take you home with something that I wasn't sure. <laughs> we're going to take you home, Country Roads. Um, I wasn't sure we were going to have another uh, Shippo's Corner for a long time, but it has become one of my favorite things um, because, well, I'll just I'll let you figure out, listener, why I love Shippo's Corner so much. Andrew, what have you got for us this week? Well, yeah, so one of the things that I just I love about hockey is the random, sometimes random times uh, that you just get different people on, on the sets. Um, and today I, I flipped on uh, NBC Sports Network because I'm like, I need to watch hockey because it's like my last day of, of summer, start school meetings tomorrow. Um, and I'm like, I'm just going to sit around and basically do nothing except watch hockey all day. And uh, they're on and they come on to the, to the broadcast set and it's like, and we're joined with Corey Schneider. Corey Schneider's joining us today. And I was just so drawn in by Corey Schneider's eyes. Um, he's, he's a ginger kind of looking dude and you know, gingers are gingers. It's their people and everything. And that's, that's important to, to note, but he just has like these soft eyes that you just like, it's like, I want to talk to you. I want to listen to what you have to say. And then I got to thinking about it and I was like, who else is, is on these, uh, broadcasts from time to time? I'm like, okay, well, Patrick Sharp, I'm like, gorgeous eyes too. Um, which, if you're unfamiliar, I, I strongly suggest like you just want you want to listen to what he has to say. And then you know our our pal uh, Jr. who got himself you know ousted for kind of being a creep. You look at his eyes. You're like, I don't really want to listen to what you have to say. <laughs> and so for for Shippo's psychological corner today, it's just there's just something about a person's eyes that you just are drawn into. It doesn't necessarily make them an expert, but it it draws you in deeper to to the commentary to their to their insight. It's just it, it was a reality that kind of struck me today um, with Corey Schneider that I was like, I mean, this dude's getting like six million dollars this year to stop pucks, but he played like eleven games. So um, here he is talking about hockey and his eyes. I'm just like, I just want to keep listening to you. And it's just I don't know. It's just a, it's a weird thing and. Um, I started going like, who are other people that I enjoy listening to in, in my everyday life, and um, started thinking about their eyes. All right. And I'm not partial to a certain eye color either. Like I've thought about like people in my life. Like I have friends who have very nice blue eyes. I have friends who have brown eyes, some hazel eyes. Um, in the words of Kelly Clarkson, you know, behind these hazel eyes. Um, but it's, it doesn't matter what color someone's eyes are, but there's a certain softness that some people have in their eyes that just draw you in. And I was just drawn in by Corey Schneider today. All right. Profound thoughts uh, from, uh, from Shippo and r really just three gentlemen on a, on a Zoom call may or may not be wearing pants. We don't, we don't know. Uh, just talking about uh, Corey Schneider's yeah. eyes. I, I mentioned uh, earlier, before we started recording, I was always drawn into Patrick Sharp's hair and teeth. He's, uh, my question is, how do you 
play hockey for 20, 30 years and and have a perfect grill like that. I, maybe it's, you know, maybe he had his teeth replaced. I, I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, like you said, Shippo, so beautiful in the immortal words of Jeremy Roenick. When yeah. you said when you said Jr. at first, I was thinking Jeremy Rutherford, and I was like, "What?" Oh. He was, did he make homoerotic comments about NBC Sports commentary team as well? <laughs> no, focus, focusing on uh, on the NBC Sports team. Yeah, I don't know what Jeremy Rutherford's eyes look like. I've never really paid that close attention to him. Maybe because he's not on TV. But... I want to give Kevin Weeks a hug. He just seems like such a like happy, warm person. Former goalie, so you know, like he wore a lot of pads, so he's got to like he he can absorb an impact. Um, he's just like I think I like his personality. He's just a very positive person. I, I like that. Patrick Sharp was too. He um, maybe still is. I don't. I haven't seen him on the broadcast team at all. But um, then again, when you're up there with Mike Milbury, it's it's easy to be a positive guy. <laughs> I think when when those are your alternatives. Like Ryan O'Reilly has nice eyes too. I'm totally googling. Well, there's your ginger connection in it. I, would you? Would he? I don't know if he's a ginger or not. He has red hair. Doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Because Ryan O'Reilly, to me, uh, Ryan O'Reilly and um, what would you call like a mix between like a? I mean, it looks very brunette. What's a mix between a brunette and a red? I don't know. Because it's not, I mean, it's not red. Although the younger years looks a lot more red. Like the avalanche picture looks a lot more gingery than now. It looks a lot darker now. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly and uh, do you remember James Collins, Shippo, uh, center half for West Ham, Aston Villa, Ginger Pele? They both look like um, a character from Game of Thrones. The if you've seen Game of Thrones, the wildling guy um, who becomes James Collins, the bald guy. Uh, yeah, but believe it or not, at one point in his life, he had hair. <laughs> sorry, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how that works, Mike. I'm sorry. Um, <clears throat> anyway, yeah. Well, okay. So, uh, Mike, do you have any thoughts about hockey players' eyes, or is that? No, no, no thoughts about hockey players' eyes. You know who else gives fantastic hugs? Charles Glenn. What a dude. What a dude. Nice guy. Indeed. All right, listener. Well, uh, your homework assignment for next week is to uh, just have a look at the, the wonderful commentary teams we have. I'm not saying objectify them. We don't need to be sexualizing hockey here. But just maybe, maybe think about, okay, w- which of these members of the wonderful NBC Sports. Or maybe not. Maybe it's Darren Pang. Maybe you're drawn in by Darren Pang's Stevie. Holy jumping! <laughs> I was going to say not the, the shrill voice. Um, but maybe. He's an iconic broadcaster and he's, he's fantastic. Um, but yeah. Let us know in, in, the, in the comments, in, in our Facebook group, on Twitter, whatever. Who is your favorite <laughs> favorite broadcaster in general? Whether or not the, the color and the depth and the warmth and responsiveness of their eyes factors into that at all. 
Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. We'll leave that up to you. Mike, Shippo, any final hockey-related thoughts? No, just want to see some uh, see some puck possession next game. Yeah, a little more fire would be nice. Puck possession, uh, fire, crispness we've talked about, um, and just intensity, I think. Remembering that we're the team that won the cup, that you know we haven't changed that much, and we've only gotten better since then. Um, you know, more experienced. Um, so, Thursday, August 6th, uh, Blues and Golden Knights, time to be determined. Um, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll look forward to that. So thanks, uh, Mike Kelly, for joining us. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me. Andrew Ship. good to see you again. Thank you for being here. It's great to see you through a screen. That's right. One day in the flesh, um, you can look deep into my eyes uh, at some point post-lockdown. Until next time, gentlemen, let's go lose. This has been a Cathedral Studios production.